0: many of you have uh, smartphones? Let me see them. Okay. Now, how many of you who have smartphones have a Bible translation on your smartphone? Ah. Now, here's the thing. If you have a smartphone and you have a Bible translation on it, I just downloaded the New Living Translation this last week. It's got some really cool stuff on it. Not only does it have the, the entire Bible, New Living Translation, you can get whatever translation that you feel most comfortable with. Um, but it will read to you. You've got no excuse. Caleb was pointing this out. You've got no excuse not to spend time in God's Word because even if you're going down the road, we definitely don't want you reading the little screen while you're driving But you can push and it will read the passage and it will keep reading until you turn it off. And there's a place you can do notes in there, things like that. So if you have a smartphone, it is acceptable to pull out your smartphone with a Bible translation on it and follow along and maybe take some notes. Now, if you see someone who has got their phone out and they're texting during the service, feel free to tattle on them to God and to me and we'll kick them out. I'm just seeing if you're listening. But so that's okay. If you bring this, if you don't bring your physical Bible, bring your smartphone Bible, you can do that this week. Now, uh, Thursdays are the days that I usually put my sermon down on paper. I read during the week and I pray and I study and I kind of let it uh go in my mind and I'm looking at things and thinking at things during the week and then uh, Thursday mornings are when I kind of dump it all on paper and try to get things going there and uh, the guys in the back I always print out a copy for them but by Sunday it's changed quite a bit the points are the same but sometimes you know I think Mike one time said to Wes he goes Doug somewhere in this general vicinity uh, you know because sometimes I'll do different things by the time I get to Sunday but Thursdays I put it down on paper and uh, Rachel popped in the room the other day in my office at home and she said, uh, Daddy, I've got to write a paper today too. And, and she told me what her paper was on. And I said, well, my paper is on, Jesus said, Jesus on the cross and Jesus said, I'm thirsty. I said, do you want to swap? I'll write your paper, you write mine. She goes, no, no, sir. If I were to write a sermon on that, I would say, Jesus said, I am thirsty, the end. And I said, there's a lot of people here that would like that. They would enjoy that sermon. Rachel's first sermon. Jesus said, I am thirsty, you just enjoyed it, now you get the longer version. You were hoping you were going to get out at 11.28, but it's not going to work. Longer version. So, here we go, John 19.28. If you have your smartphones or if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said... I am thirsty. This is the fifth saying of Jesus on the cross. And this one has puzzled me more than any other. And this last week, as I was studying, as I was praying through this saying, God, what, what do you want me to, to understand from this kind of a light went on for me? If you've ever been in church for any amount of time, if you've read any amount of the Bible, you know that Jesus never said anything haphazardly. When Jesus uh, the last week of his life, he comes into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry, he goes into the temple. He sees the money changers in the temple. He doesn't do anything right then. He goes back out, he spends the night in Bethany. He comes back in the next day. And the next day is when he comes in and he drives the money changers out of the temple and said, you've made my father's house a robber's den. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus spent that whole night praying, I think, thinking through his response to those money changers in the temple. He didn't do that haphazardly. He never said things and went... Oops, did I just say that out loud? Jesus never had one of those moments. You've had those moments, I know, right? Anybody want to share? No, 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 we won't go there. We'll do that at FOB. You can share some of those at FOB. But Jesus never had those moments. He always did things on purpose. Every moment of his life was on purpose moments. So there's no difference here when he says, I thirst. Got to be something big when he says, I thirst. Well, there's a couple of reasons he said this. First, it's in the scripture there. It's that the Old Testament prophets predicted that the Messiah would say these words. Hundreds, actually thousands of years before Jesus was ever born, the Old Testament prophets were predicting things that the Messiah would say and do, and then Jesus spent his entire three and a half years in ministry doing and saying every one of those things from the Old Testament. I can't wait till next week, because next week we're going to look at, it is finished, the words that Jesus says, it is finished, and we're going to look at several of the prophecies That were predicted hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus ever lived. And we're going to show you how they've been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Can't wait for that. But that's next Sunday. Jesus did and said all of these things. Now, earlier in the day, Jesus had been offered a pain-deadening wine that was given to everybody who was crucified. Crucifixion was such a horrible thing that every person who went through it, they would give you some wine to deaden the pain. Jesus refused that because the second reason is I believe he wanted to have all of his faculties about him. He wanted to be in full control so that even to the very end, he could be obedient to everything that Jesus that God wanted him to say and do. So obedient to the end, he didn't take the pain-deadening wine drink that others would have taken. Now, I can't believe, you know, if I was on the cross i 'd have been thinking not only God do I have to go to the cross, but if I go to the cross, give me some ever clear, give me the good stuff, knock me out i don 't want to feel big things, but not jesus ever clear that 's like the hardest stuff right somebody i 'm not saying in church <laughs> now you got to understand Jesus. Had just emerged from three hours. We talked about this, uh, last week. He had just, or two weeks ago, he had just emerged from three hours of complete darkness from noon until 3 p.m. It was completely dark on the earth. And then he says, I thirst. And then if you, if you think about being abandoned by God, which is isolation from God, you think about darkness and you think about thirst, that's a description of what Jesus says hell is like. It's a place of unbelievable torment where someone will even beg that a drop of water can be put on their tongue. It's a place of complete separation and isolation from God and utter darkness. That's a picture of hell. And Jesus has just emerged from that on the cross when he says these words. And and just as, as an aside, this week I saw on uh, Time magazine, there they have a cover story that says, is the, the title is, Is he, Hell Dead?, And then the premise is, what if hell is not real? What if there is no hell? And I read about two-thirds away through the article, and, and that's all I could handle. Because the basic premise was, the dude doesn't think hell exists, that we all get to go to heaven in the end. Well, here's the thing. If hell is not real, then Jesus died on the cross in vain. Jesus is a liar. He suffered for nothing. If there's no hell, we need to go home right now. Close the doors at New Life and never come back, because we're wasting your time. But Jesus said there's a hell and that it is not a pleasant place and people who do not follow him do not get to go to heaven. They will end up in a place called hell. Now, when he comes to this point on the cross and he says, I thirst, there's some obvious physical reasons why Jesus is thirsting. By this point, he has been up at least 30 consecutive hours. I don't know about you, but I got out of youth ministry partially because of lock-ins where you would stay up 24 hours a day. That's when I lost my hair was the last time, you know, I stayed up all night. I can't do that anymore. I don't like staying up for 24 hours. I used to work the graveyard shift for 11 months and I'd lost weight. And, you know, I was this I was this gaunt looking thing, white, and hollow cheeks, you know, because I wasn't getting enough sleep. I don't like going without enough sleep. Jesus been up at least 30 hours, maybe 33 to 36 consecutive hours by the time he's gone from. Thursday morning, all the way until he gets crucified. He's been beaten beyond recognition. He's been mocked. He's had to carry his cross out to this this hill called the skull, Golgotha. So there's some obvious physical reasons why Jesus was thirsting, but there are some spiritual reasons as well. Um, And and we're going to look at those, because there's this huge paradox of the one who called himself the water of life, the living water, Dying on a cross in thirst. That's just paradoxical. John chapter 7 verse 38. Look what Jesus is saying. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When He said living water, He was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in Him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into His glory. Jesus wouldn't enter His glory until He raised from the dead. He was crucified. He raised from the dead. And He went back from the planet Earth. He went up into heaven. They saw Him go. And then at the day of Pentecost, when Jesus was glorified, that's when the Holy Spirit came and took residence in people's lives. In the Old Testament, He would, he would visit people temporarily. But from this point on, after Jesus was crucified, this living Living water represented God's Holy Spirit living inside believers permanently. This was a huge shift in the teaching of the day and in Christianity. When the crowds heard him say this, that he was the living water, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Everybody in the crowd, all of the men in the crowd, would have most of the Old Testament memorized. They would have it up in their mind. They didn't need a smartphone. They didn't need the Bible. They had it memorized. They were taught over and over and over again. So when some of them heard what Jesus said, they said, this guy's the prophet. Look what others said. Others said he's the Messiah. They're saying, this guy fulfills the things we learned in the Old Testament. But look what others said. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? There was a saying in that day. Jesus came, we know, from Nazareth. He grew up in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth, which was in Galilee. And there was a saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, that, and the implication was, no. It'd be kind of like, could, could anything good come out of slocum? I'm just kidding. I know we got Slocum people. Can anything good come out of Natchez? Ah, no. Okay, here's the thing. Think of it this way. What are the odds that the President of the United States would come from Slocum? Or that the President of the United States would come from Natchez? Or or even Palestine. What are the odds? And that's what they were saying. What are the odds that the, the Messiah would come out of Nazareth, out of Galilee? What Can anything good come out of Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state, this is the argument of those people who didn't believe him, for the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him because it was not his time. Now, these words that Jesus said, when he stands up and he says, I am the living water, again, this was intentional. He did this on purpose. This was on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the the Jews were very festival-oriented people because God told them to be. And every festival had a meaning. This particular meaning, the festival of booths, the feast of booths or the tabernacles uh, would point back to something that happened in, in their past. And then they would look forward to what was going to happen in the future when Messiah would come. Now, every year when they were going to celebrate this feast, they would make these temporary shelters out of branches, Because what they were looking back to was when Jesus had delivered them, or when God had delivered them from, uh, Egypt, they went out in the wilderness, they didn't get to go into the promised land, so they had to wander around for 40 years. God took care of them, but they lived in what was called a temporary dwelling, a tabernacle, or a tent, something like that. So by the time that Jesus is here, these people, the Jews, every, every year since, um, God led them into the promised land, they had, uh, they had celebrated the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles. So they would, be, and this was a cool time. You imagine this, kids. If if you got for a week, I mean, my kids would have loved this. For a week, you would live in this temporary dwelling, and it was a celebration. You would have this great time celebrating what God had done thousands of years before. But you move out in the backyard and you live in a tent and you worship God for seven days. This was a very, very special time for them. Now, what would happen is the priests would go to the pool of Siloam. They would scoop up the water from there. They would take it back and they would put it in these golden, um, cups and then they would pour out as a drink offering to God. If you poured something out to God, it was symbolizing that, that what, that this was offering to him the most precious thing, water. You were pouring it out before God and saying, God, you provided for us in the Old Testament for our people. Two times, if you'll remember, two times the people complained about water, actually more than that, but two times they complained, and God brought water out of a rock to satisfy the thirst of at least a million men. Maybe three million people wandering in the wilderness, and God brings it out of a rock. And so they would remember back when they came and complained against Moses, and they said, what? We're thirsty We are thirsty. Why did you bring us out here in the wilderness just to die of thirst? The first time God says to Moses, go and strike the rock with your staff and water came out. Second time God said, go and speak to the rock. Moses struck the staff and that's another story. Struck the rock with his staff and he got in trouble. He didn't get to go in the promised land. But both times God provided miraculously for their thirst to be quenched. The temple, this was really cool too, because the temple would be illuminated with huge candlesticks to remind them that in the Old Testament, when they're wandering in the wilderness... God led them uh, in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So while they're living in their little tabernacles, their little tents, they would look and they would see the temple illumined at night and they would remember that God led them by fire at night. Back in the Old Testament, it's real easy. You want to know what God wants you to do? If you want to know if you stay where you are or leave, if the the cloud leaves during the day, you you pick up and leave. If the the fire leaves at night, then you pick up and leave. It really, really wasn't hard to figure out God's will for you. And so they, the temple would be illumined and they would look out and they'd see the temple and they'd say, God led us at night. This was a really, really cool deal. And you would think that people who had, had been miraculously delivered from slavery, who had God provide meat for them at night, who provided water from a rock, you would think those people would be drawn to God and they would never waver in their commitment to God. And you'd be wrong. Because humans have this tendency to get close to God At certain points. And then to turn their backs and walk away from Him later. How many of you have come here? You don't have to raise your hands on this. You've come here and you felt like you've come into the presence of God. And you felt close to God. And you left here and within an hour or two, maybe even out in the parking lot, something happens and you feel totally separated from God. And you're like, what happened? What just happened? Didn't mean to reference Ricky Bobby there, sorry. So they said, we're thirsty, God provides, and that's what's going on in this feast, is God is reminding them. Now, on the last day of the feast, the priests would go and they would get this water, and they would come, they'd put it in their golden cups, and then they would march around the altar seven times, and they would chant Psalm 118.25, which says, Please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Last time the priests are doing this, they're walking around chanting this over and over. And then they would walk out and they would pour out the water, the the drink offering before God. And as they're pouring out the drink offering before God, the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up and he says, anyone who's thirsty, come to me. You see how he, it was intentional. He He did it at exactly the right moment. And everyone there knew the significance of what he was saying. If you want to be satisfied, I am he. Come to me for that drink. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. This was an intentional, strategic invitation to guilty sinners to come and drink the water of life. Now, I've got some life water up here today. And, and I want you to remember this, that in the, in the Bible, drinking water was a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming into a person's life. Whenever you hear in the Bible, water for washing, that was symbolic of God's Word. And God's Word would wash you uh, as you read it, and it would help cleanse you. Jesus' invitation here is more than satisfying physical thirst. It has to do with spiritual thirst. And just as water satisfies our physical thirst and refreshes us physically, the Holy Spirit satisfies our spiritual thirst and prepares us and sustains us when we're facing difficult times in life. And the immediate result from this invitation, everybody there knew exactly what was going on. Some people believed in Jesus, thought He was a prophet. Some people believed He was Messiah. And some people wanted Him dead because of what was going on. Now... We get back to the cross where Jesus said, I am thirsty. John 19, 29, a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it to his lips. So the, the guard sees that he's thirsty. Jesus says, I'm thirsty, gives him just a little bit of, of sour vinegar wine. He drinks that and, and next week we'll look at what he says after that. But this is the third, uh, third week that we've been looking at this. The first thing we looked at was when Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And we found out that when the sins of the world came upon Jesus hanging on the cross, at that moment God turned His back on Jesus so that He would never have to turn His back on you. God abandoned Jesus so that He would never have to abandon you. Last week we looked at what Jesus said when He said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. And we found out that in the midst of the most horrible tragedy, betrayal on, in history... Jesus offers forgiveness hanging from a cross and then he expects us to offer the same kind of forgiveness to other people. And today we find out that Jesus was thirsty and we find out that a Roman soldier of all people give him a drink. Well, I want you to understand that it's still possible today to give Jesus a drink. And I'm going to show you how. One day, Jesus left Judea, had a little bit of conflict, and he was leaving Judea, and and that was the home of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he was headed for Galilee. Go ahead and put that up there, Mike. Now, Judea, you see down there at the bottom, Jesus was in that area, and he's going to go to Galilee. What would be the most direct, what country would you have to go to if you were going to go the most direct route from Judea to Galilee? Samaria. Any good Jew would never step foot in Samaria. Jesus wasn't. An ordinary jew but here's the reason thousands of years before um jacob had owned this land remember that when in the old testament you'll hear a lot of times the god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob it's that jacob we're talking about he had owned this land at one time and he gave it to his son joseph as an inheritance and there was a well there something had happened in in the thousands of years that had transpired since then god had said for the the Israelites, not to marry other peoples. It had nothing to do with races. It had everything to do with religion, with who they served. God says, do not follow those people. Do not intermarry with those people because they will become a snare for you. And their gods, lowercase g, will lead you astray. So God wanted pure um, relationships based on the one true God. The Samaritans had disobeyed that and begun intermarrying with other religious faiths and they had this watered down religion and and so the the Jews hated Samaritans because they were disobedient. They hated them so much that they would travel across the Jordan over into other parts, other countries so that they would never have to step foot in Samaria. Jesus goes directly through Samaria and he comes to Jacob's well and that's where we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 4 verse 5. In Samaria, Jesus came to the town called Sychar, which is near the field Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from the long trip, so he sat down beside the well. It was 12 o'clock noon. When a Samaritan woman came to the well to get some water, Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Jesus said, I am thirsty. This happened while Jesus' followers were in town buying some food, so Jesus is there alone. The woman says, I am surprised that you asked me for a drink, since you are a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. First of all, he crossed this barrier because she's a woman and and he's a rabbi rabbis did not talk to women they were not related to out in public a jewish rabbi would never do that and then a good rabbi would never speak to a samaritan woman jesus is he's just throwing tradition to the wind as he talks to this lady jewish people are not friends with the samaritans that's an understatement Jesus said, if you only knew the free gift of God and who it is that is asking you for water, you would have asked him and he would have given you life water, living water. The woman said, sir, where will you get this life water? The well is very deep and you have nothing to get water with. Are you greater than Jacob, our father, who gave us this well and drank from it himself along with his sons and flocks? Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again But whoever drinks the life water I give will never be thirsty The life water I give will become a spring of water gushing up inside that person giving eternal life The woman said sir, give me this water So I will never be thirsty again and will not have to come back here to get water Jesus was talking spiritual water. She was talking physical water. So jesus says, okay, let's cut to the chase here Go get your husband and come back here woman answered I have no husband Jesus said, to her, you're right to say you have no husband. Really, you've had five husbands, and the man you live with now is not your husband. You told the truth. woman says, uh, I can see you're a prophet. And then she changes the subject. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place where people must worship. Jesus said, well, actually, the time is coming when neither in Jerusalem nor on this mountain will you actually worship the Father. You Samaritans worship something you don't understand. We understand what we worship because salvation comes from the Jews. The time is coming when the true worshipers Worshippers will worship the father in spirit and in truth and the time is here already You see the father too is actively seeking such people to worship him God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said well, I know that messiah is coming Messiah is the one called christ when the messiah comes he will explain everything to us Then jesus said I am he I the one talking to you. He was claiming to be the messiah right there Just then, his followers came back from town and were surprised to see him talking with the woman. Why would they be surprised that Jesus was talking with a Samaritan woman? Tradition, he just broke all kinds of rules. But none of them dared ask. This is awesome. None of them asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then the woman left. She left her water jar and went back to town. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Do you think he might be the Christ? So the people left the town and went to see Jesus. Meanwhile, the followers were begging him, teacher, eat something. But Jesus answered, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the followers asked himself, did somebody already bring him some food? Jesus said, my food is to do what the one who sent me wants me to do and to finish his work. He was talking spiritual food again. Now, Jesus didn't reveal himself to a whole lot of people when he was here on on the earth, but he did to this woman, and I think it's to show us something. I think that, that the real thirst of Jesus is actually that we would receive his life water and that we would become life water giving people to others. God never blesses you just for you. God never feeds you just for you. He always blesses you and feeds you so that you turn around and bless or feed someone else. And I think God wants us to spend our lives giving this to others. You see, we've got to grow up. When someone first comes to Christ, it is acceptable for them not to know much about Christ. When If you've been in here and you haven't been here very long and you come to Christ, you're what's called a spiritual baby, and that's okay. What's not okay is to stay a spiritual baby. We've got to move from, I need, I need, I need... To you need, I'm going to feed off of God's word so that I can meet needs of others. So it moves from I need, I feed, to you need, I feed so that I can help you. There's a difference. Move from I need, I feed, to you need, I feed. Now, some of you are going to say, well, yeah, but Doug, you don't understand my circumstances. I'm stuck. I don't have money. I'm in this relationship. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Okay, stop it because Jesus is stuck on a cross. You want to talk about captivity? You want to be stuck in some in some circumstances? Jesus is stuck on the cross. And I think when he says it I thirst, I think he's wanting us to realize it's not about you and it's not about me, it's about the people we're supposed to reach once we receive the life-giving water from Jesus Christ. Let's just break this down today, this story There's the woman's need. She came because she needed physical water. Jesus was thirsty, so Jesus connects a physical need that he has with this woman to start a spiritual conversation. Jesus looks for opportunities to connect with people through physical things to open up conversations about spiritual things. So in the course of the conversation, it goes from need to Jesus plants a seed about the true Messiah, about the salvation. If you're a Christ follower today, you have the seed of Jesus Christ living in you, the seed of salvation. And you don't have to go around saying, who's going to help me? Who's going to help me? Because God has come and given you everything you need. And you then, when you mature, you move to, who can I help? It's not about me. It's about who can I help next? Who am I going to help out? Who can I give water to? And, and I just want to, uh, take a moment to give out a couple of these waters to people who are actually making a difference. None of them know I'm going to do this and, and they can get mad at me later. But someone who came to me several weeks ago was Karen Lowe and she said, I want to serve. And she said, I, I want to, I want to know where you have the biggest need in the church. And I said, the biggest need is on Sunday nights, doing childcare on Sunday nights because it had become just kind of a, babysitting and nobody wanted to do babysitting for two hours so she's turned it into a teaching time and she said plug me in wherever you want me to serve where's the greatest need i said here's the greatest need and she's coming i know richard got sucked into it too and uh and that's what happens when you're married right for better or for worse um but but he doesn't even realize that the kids have taken to him as well they needed a man in there so on sunday nights they're giving of themselves so that that a need can be met. They've gotten the life-giving water, but they're giving it to someone else. Jennifer Canaday has been... Yeah, I didn't know she was going to be in here until just a second ago. She's been working in our children's area since the beginning. Almost since the beginning. Eight years she's wor- been working in the children's area. And she has the, the first graders, actually kindergartners, through fifth grade. And man, that's a challenging area, but she's here week after week after week pouring into your children so that you can come in here and we don't have them in here. Woo! I love kids. Just not in here. Let's see. Is Keith in here? Guess not. Here you go, Wes. Now, Wes... Now, this isn't just because he leads up here. Wes and Keith, and I'll save this one for Keith. If you hear me, Keith, come in. He's sometimes out there. These guys come up here on Wednesday nights. There he is. Good thing you were listening. It's has be on the recording for everyone forever. These guys give of their Wednesday nights to come up here and serve students. We have a youth band that, that goes on on Wednesday nights. And we have two or three rows of teenagers and we're just getting into the youth band and I'm having a blast playing in the youth band. with I hadn't played in about eight years. But these two guys come up here week after week and give extra time just so that they can serve students. How awesome is that? They're receiving the life-giving water that, that Jesus Christ offers, but they're not keeping it for themselves. And they're maturing because God God helps you grow up as you give to other people. I got one more. I shouldn't breathe so loud. Sounds like thunder. This is my friend Dwayne back here. Almost every week Dwayne comes in and he says, "What do you need today?" "What do you need me to do?" If if it's a light in the bathroom and one time it was. I said, "Go fix this." You need a drink of water? The dude goes and gets me a drink of water if I need a drink of water. Anything I need done, he wants to serve. Now just imagine. If we had 150 or 200 people every week. Coming here with that mindset. That it's not about me. It's all about reaching someone else. And giving them the life giving water. Because everybody's thirsty. Everybody within driving distance of our church is thirsty, right? Physically, but there's a lot of spiritual thirst out there. And even after eight and a half years, we still don't get it that it's not about us. Oh, well, I enjoyed worship today. Big fat whoop. Did you reach out and connect with someone else who was hurting? Because it's all about need it's all about seed. and It's all about feed. Now, we have breakfast and we do that just to, to help people out. But but see, the disciples come back with the feed. They went into town, they went to Walmart, they shopped. They come back and Jesus like, oh, sorry, dudes, I've already eaten. And, you know, those disciples, you know, Peter goes, who went to Taco Bell? I'm going up and down. This is me. I'm going up and down the aisles of Walmart. I can't stand shopping. Can't stand it. If Janie wants me to go get something, tell me the aisle it's on and what it's near. Because shopping is hunting to me. They've been shopping. Who gave him a Big Mac? And Jesus says, oh, guys, you don't get it. How long are you going to be with me? Jesus was always talking about their lack of faith. How long are you going to be with me and you don't get it? Jesus said. My my food is to do something eternal. Now, he wasn't saying that we don't ever eat again. But he was saying there's a bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that people are dying and going to hell. And Jesus found that unacceptable. And people who really follow Jesus and mature find the same things unacceptable that Jesus finds unacceptable. So how do we become... Life water giving people very quickly. Number one, you got to remember that need always requires love. Jesus saw needs because of his love. When you read the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus would be moving through somewhere. He was on his way from Judea to Galilee. But he stopped and he saw a need and it was okay. It was okay to be delayed because Jesus loved people. People were more important to him than projects. And so if he saw a need, it was okay. He was going to meet that need. He was going to love people into the kingdom of God. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Second, seed always requires hope. Seed is what you put in the ground, hoping that it's going to sprout. We have a lot of ladies that planted gardens. My wife did. Jennifer did. And, and you know, it's kind of cool. Do you all remember? I don't know if you ever do this. We had to plant some seeds back when I was in elementary school. Some of them you got to take home. Some of them you left in the window there at the elementary school. And I was the type that I would always go and check to see if anything had sprouted out the ground. Ten minutes later, nothing. I mean, that was me. I'm looking and mom's like, hey, buddy, you need to have a little bit of patience. I'm like, it's not growing, mom. I killed it. She's like, "Dude, chill." You know, and then maybe several days later, you see that first sprout and I get so like, "Mom, it's growing!" I'm a farmer. Hope is what what you, when you plant that seed, hope says that there's something going on even when I can't see it. In fact, the Bible says that hope that is seen is not really hope at all. Hope is that something, that God is working, even when I can't see it, that God is doing something, that God is in control. He's working behind the circumstances, and I'm going to reach out to other people. Love is what spurs us on. We see a need, and and we hope that there's a better day. Hope says we can be a part of God's plan for a better day. By the way, um, at some point I'm going to have a a video of Eula thanking the church for what we did at her house. Uh, It looks phenomenal. Some of her family members were in from, from another state. A couple of weeks ago and they came and they said, we can't believe what your church did for our mom. Love says, we're going to reach out and we're going to do something to help meet your need. When we go to Haiti, oh my goodness, you want to talk about a place that needs hope of Jesus Christ? I think that's why when they worship, they couldn't care less what you think about them. They are in the presence of their heavenly Father. Their worship services are awesome. I wish all of you could um, go with us. And you need to at some point in your life. Because you'll come back and you'll say, those people see a Jesus that I've never experienced. Because in the midst of total devastation, they have hope. Planting seed is about hope for the future. And then feed requires faith. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, faith without actions is dead faith. How can I love God whom I can't see if I can't love my brother who I can see? Faith says, let me do this. Let me step into gear. Let me get into this action to actually try to do something. Not only can I see the possibility, I'm going to be a part of the reality. Faith says, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get going. I'm going to get my hands dirty. Feeding people requires faith and it requires you to get off your butt and do something. More than once a year. So let's look at some important questions and then we're done. Important question number one. Am I needy or am I needed? A needy person is, you've always got to fix me. You've always got to do something for me. You've always got to meet my needs. A needed person is who's called on when someone needs life-giving water. Which one are you? As we mature, we look for opportunities to meet needs. When we meet needs, we offer folks hope. Second important question. What am I drinking to satisfy my thirst? Because you've latched on to something. And it may be career. It may be your marriage. It may be your children. It may be your job. It may be money. You are drinking something. And the reason you are dissatisfied with your life is because God designed you to run on life water. To be filled with that and be filled to overflowing so that you then reach out and give life to others, what are you drinking? Important question number three What am I feeding others? Because you're feeding them something. Your kids know whether your belief in Jesus Christ is real or not. Your kids know your priorities of time and your talents and your treasures. They're watching, and you are passing, you are feeding your children something. Now, as we finish up today, go ahead and fill out your reg- registration cards. Turn those over on the back. I want you to answer those three important questions. You write down one. And either write down needy or needed. If you're not sure, ask ask a friend who will tell you the truth. If you're a needy person or a needed person. Number two, what are you drinking to satisfy your thirst? You don't have to write the question, just write the answer. Put Number two, what is it that is number one in your life right now? And be gut level honest. And then number three, what are you feeding others? What is it you're pursuing more than anything else that is feeding other people?